Father, I just thank you that you always hear us. That there's not a word that comes out of our mouth that uh, you don't pay attention. You're a loving dad. So, Father, we put ourselves in a position to hear from you. We thank you for this vessel. We thank you for the gifting you've given Andrew as a shepherd, as a teacher. We pray that you would allow us to receive the, the destiny, the purpose that you place him. You said we've been created for good works. I pray that you would flow your gifts through him today, Father, that, that this would be one of those moments where you, that Andrew would stand and say, I was made for this moment. And that we as a congregation could say, I'm so glad you sent this vessel, this time, this season into our lives. I pray for an impartation of the word of God in each of our lives, in each of our situations. Father, we want to leave this place thoroughly equipped for the things that you've got for us. And so we pray your blessing on Andrew. We put ourselves in a posture to receive. You said that when we receive him, we receive the one who sent him. And so we joyfully, cheerfully receive him as sent from you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Welcome. My name is Andrew Gross. I am one of the elders here at the church. And uh, today uh, I am introducing a series, a, a new sermon series. Uh, you all remember, I'm sure, that our theme for the year is, is a year of growing maturity. And funny thing happened, uh, Pastor Jim let me know what the, the theme was going to be just a little bit ahead of time. And what was, what was kind of amazing was all last year, last uh, summer, uh, I, I felt like God was downloading into my spirit uh, what, what I thought was going to be maybe a, a class on uh, maturity. I had no clue that that's what the, the theme was going to be. And, uh, and so uh, we, when I found out, oh my goodness, you know, that, that God put that on Pastor Jim's heart too, uh, a year of, of maturity year of growing maturity, and so uh, we got together, and we've come up with this, this sermon series, and so I get the, the honor of introducing it to you. So this, this, this sermon series is, is a call to maturity, and that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God calling you and me to maturity, and this is, this is going to be a great series. We're going to really unpack this, uh, this whole idea of maturity, we're going to look at it from a bunch of different angles. We're going to dig into it and dive into it and, and wrestle with it. We've got all kinds of uh, cool messages coming up. Next week, Pastor Ben is going to enlighten us on spiritual maturity. Of course, that's the foundation of all the other kinds of maturity. That's the heart and the center and the foundation of it all. Uh, the week after that, we've got special guest speaker Dale Van Steenis. If you've heard him before, you definitely don't want to miss his sermon. Uh, uh, stewardship maturity. How, how do we become mature stewards of what God has entrusted to us? Uh, vocational maturity. Vocation usually gets used as another word for your job, but actually in the Christian tradition, vocational maturity is much broader than that. Vocational maturity means all that you're called to in this life. It comes from the Latin word for call. Uh, so what did God has called you to? Then week after that, you're going to hear me from me again. Uh, it's, we're going to talk about emotional maturity. And then after that, mental maturity, and that, that has to do with our, our thought life. How do we make sure that our, our thought life is, uh, is, is growing in maturity? And then relational maturity, uh, we're going to find out about, uh, about relationships and how do we become mature in those relationships. And finally, 
uh, multiplying maturity. That's Easter, and Pastor Jim is going to share with us uh, about, about what that means. So multiplying maturity. Now, this, this series comes at the same time as Lent, and that was not an accident. If uh, you've been a part of more, a more maybe traditional or more liturgical kind of church, and Lent was a part of your growing up, uh, then, then you know Lent is the time for preparing our hearts to live in the resurrection of Easter. And uh, it's, it's been practiced for uh, almost 2,000 years, goes, goes way, way back. We're not going to, at this church, we're, we don't, uh, we're not too rigid about uh, the traditions that we, we celebrate here. So, you know, I, I know some churches you're, you're forced to, uh, uh, to take on certain practices during Lent. And we, we, don't, we don't force anyone to do anything. I'm, I'm going to talk about the, the spiritual practice of, of fasting in a little bit. Uh, a, l- a little bit later. It's one of the things we're going to um, invite people to do if they like. But, <clears throat> but Lent is a time of preparing our hearts to live in the resurrection. Just like uh, it, it's 40 days, and that imitates a couple things in Scripture. One, it imitates the 40 years that the Israelites wandered through the wilderness uh, between when they were released from Egypt and before they entered the Promised Land. They weren't, their hearts were not ready to live in the Promised Land when they first escaped from Egypt. When they first escaped from Egypt, they were stubborn. They were, uh, the, the Bible talks about their necks being like mules because uh, they wouldn't bend to what God wanted them to do. They were disorderly. They were selfish and indulgent. Uh, and so it took 40 years, and a whole old generation had to die off, uh, and a new generation had to grow up, and they were ready. The new generation, were, they were ready to enter the promised land. Uh, in the same way, the 40 days imitates Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness. And uh, Jesus was pre- preparing his heart uh, for his three and a half years of public ministry. And so, so Lent is a time to prepare our hearts for living in the resurrection of, of Christ. That's what, what Lent is, is really about. And so perfect time to talk about maturity. That, that's what maturity is about. Maturity is about living in the fullness of the resurrection life of, of Jesus. That's, that's, what it's, that's what maturity is all about. So, which brings me to uh, a definition we've come up with. Uh, there's lots of definitions of maturity out there. We went with what we thought was the most biblical definition. I uh, want to explain this a little bit. It means, we're, me- we're saying it means loving God, loving people, loving ourselves freely and fully. Now, those first two phrases, loving God and loving people, that comes straight out of Scripture, uh, both the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, Jesus said this, this was the greatest commandment. He called, love God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. And then he said the second one, loving others as yourself, he said that that was like the greatest commandment. So, in other words, it's pretty much the second greatest commandment. Uh, and so loving God, loving others. And, and, and that's really the picture of maturity. If you're, ever, if you're wondering, you know, am I getting more mature in, in my spirit, in my character, you can measure yourself against the standard. Loving God, loving others. Now this third phrase might strike you as a little odd. It doesn't come straight out of the Bible. Um, potentially, uh, you know, people could use that to uh, be selfish and prideful and it's all about me and it's all about loving me and I really need that uh, new Lexus because 
Uh, it's all about loving me. Doesn't, isn't that the definition of maturity? Well, uh, what we mean by loving ourselves is actually the exact opposite of selfishness and pride and self-absorption. What we mean by loving ourselves is uh, <clears throat> um, accepting the me that God created me to be, accepting the me that God created to me, me to be, and accepting God's love for me. That's, that's what we mean when we say loving ourselves. So loving ourselves isn't a prideful, look at me, I'm so special. It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, when you accept, or sorry, if you don't accept God's love for you, if you don't accept the God, the, the you that God created you to be, if you don't accept that, then you're left with this empty void inside that's, that's ravenously hungry for significance. And you're going to do anything to try to get that significance. You're going to step on other people. You're going to push people around. You're going to clutch and claw after things and titles and positions. And you're going to want to assert yourself uh, in, in a way that tramples on other people uh, if you've got that empty void inside of you because you haven't accepted God's love for you. You haven't accepted uh, who he created you to be. But if you do accept who God created you to be, if you do accept his love for you, it, it's actually the most humble thing you can possibly do. It's, it's you know, we, we all, if we walked with Christ with any amount of time, we, we all acknowledge, God, your, your love is implausible. It's irrational that you would love me. You would actually set your heart on caring for me and loving me and wanting me. That doesn't make any sense. It, it, it's irrational. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's true. But he loves you anyway. So humility is actually just accepting that fact. Just, okay, doesn't make any sense, God. Uh, whatever, but you said it. So, okay, I receive. I receive your love for me. I receive your acceptance of me. I receive your kindness of me. I, I, I receive the me that you made me to be. Okay? So that's actually, that's actually a sign of incredible humility to accept that you got, God made you to be and, and, and accept God's love for you. Uh, <clears throat> then the last couple phrases, freely, freely, what we mean by that is having nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, and nothing to lose. If you've been around Bethel Christian Fellowship for any length of time, you've heard Pastor Jim use this phrase dozens, if not hundreds of times. You've, you've heard him preach on this. Uh, and and this, this means um, living free from all the things that would keep you from the fullness of the resurrection power of God. Uh, and we're going to talk about this theme actually throughout this, this series. What, 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 is, what does that actually mean? It also means free from all the ways that we sabotage our own spiritual progress. Now, a lot of people think the devil is your greatest enemy in keeping you from spiritual progress. The reality is you're your greatest enemy in keeping you from spiritual progress. I'm my greatest enemy in keeping me from spiritual progress. When we unfold this idea of maturity over the next 40 days, we're going uh, to talk about a lot of the different little tricky, subtle things we do to keep ourselves from becoming mature, to keep ourselves from the fullness of the resurrection life. So, so th that's what we mean by freely. And then what do we mean by fully? Well, what we mean by that is loving God with 
all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Uh, that, that was part of the, the greatest commandment when, when Jesus said, this is the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So, so that's what we mean by fullness. Every part of you, have all of your powers of intellectual perception, all of your physical energies, all of your emotional energy, everything you got in you goes to loving God. And so maturity looks like more and more of the, the all in you is loving God. And it also means loving others as we love ourselves. All right? Now here, when I say loving ourselves, I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the loving ourselves I was just talking about. I'm talking about the way that, you know, you think about all the resource, all the energy, all the time that goes to taking care of me. All right? You, you might not always take care of a, a spouse or a, a child or a friend or a coworker, but boy, you're going to make sure you get your needs met, right? Okay? All, all of that, according to Jesus' second commandment, is supposed to go into loving other people. The same energy, same resource. So maturity is increasingly loving other people as we love ourselves. So that's, that's what the definition is. Now, <clears throat> this might seem like a tall order. It might seem scary. It's very scary to me, so uh, I'll, I'll admit it. It's scary to me. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've, the, the whole reason we're doing this message, the whole reason we've got this, this year of maturity is that this opens up my elder's heart. Uh, the whole reason I'm an elder is because actually this concern over maturity. And I, I hope you're okay with me being honest with you, uh, me being open with you. Somebody prophesied for me right before this uh, message that um, uh, I would uh, I would be able to speak this with no apology. So I'm, but I'm 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 scared to say it. So, but I'm not supposed to have an apology. So <clears throat> I hope you're okay with with me just with me just opening it up like this. But. <laughs> um, my elder's concern, a uh, li- little bit of history first. When, <clears throat> when I was starting to really grow in Christ, I saw Christians around me who I was certain were filled with God, walking with God, uh, growing in God, start to fall away like flies, just one by one. I remember there was even one intense season, one year, where it felt like, oh my goodness, it seems like almost everybody I know, all the Christians I'm really close to, really depend on, count on, they're falling away. And not, not just kind of having some meandering time of, of kind of wondering where God is, but like falling away. And, <clears throat> you know, that started to birth in me this deep concern, like, what is it that causes people to make it? What, what, what is it that Scripture says we're to, we're to, those who, who persevere to the end will be saved? How, 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 how do we make sure that we're going to be among those who, who persevere to the end? 
So, so that concern's been in me for a really long time. How do we get to that place of maturity where we're persevering to the end? But, but since then, God has, has, has developed that concern into something even deeper. And, and that concern is, how are we going to persevere to the point of multiplication? How, how are we going to persevere to the point where, not, not just where I make it to heaven and you individually make it to heaven and you individually make it to heaven. I don't just mean how are individuals going to persevere, but how are we going to persevere so that the faith, the love of God, the, 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 the new life in Christ gets passed on to those who come after us? How, how is it going to get passed on so that it doesn't just end with us? There, there are whole countries, guys, there, if, if, if you study the history of the church, there's, there's, whole, there's whole countries where Christianity just it usually died out slowly, but it, it really just died out. And how, how is that not going to happen to Christians in America? How is that not going to happen to Bethel Christian Fellowship? How are, how are we going to pass on this new life in Christ to the next generation? And not just pass it on so that there's an appearance of, of people getting all riled up for Jesus, but, but actually so that they become the kind of people who can pass on the faith to the next generation. And then they become the next people who pass it on to the next generation. You guys... See what, I'm, see what I'm getting after? That, that, that strikes at the heart of my concern for the faith. You know, some of these people I referenced earlier who seemed like they were just so gung-ho for God and, and walking with the Lord, uh, some of them, they had every appearance of, you know, they, they were the first to shout out on Hallelujah on Sunday morning. They were the, the first to rush into a service project. They, you know, there was so much enthusiasm you know, but in, in a way, there's this old analogy. Uh, a, a comet can, can blaze through uh, the sky with a lot of drama, a lot of beauty. If you've ever seen a comet with its long tail, it's amazing. But they blaze through with all this drama and beauty, and then they're gone. But in contrast, there's the stars. They twinkle, and they kind of fade in, and they fade out, and there's some nights you hardly see them, but they're still there. Their stars are still there, twinkling and shining. Comet comes and goes, and the stars are still there. Are we going to be stars, or are we going to be comets? E- even if being a star means there's maybe a little less drama, a little less woohoo, a little less yeah, that impresses people a lot. Um, are we going to be stars, or are we going to be, com- or are we going to be comets? What, what's it going to be? So, so this, this really strikes at the heart of my concern. And this isn't just me. Paul thought this way, actually, believe it or not. Um, uh, I'm going to put it up here so you don't have to turn to it right now. But in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 5, uh, this, this is what Paul says, but each one of you should build with care. And by the way, the people he was writing to, the Corinthians, they, had, they, were, they were really showy and dramatic in, their, uh, in the way they observed the faith in Christ but they were not persevering, and they were not passing it on in a, in a way that would, uh, so that the next generation would be fully inheriting the life of Christ. So here's, in that context, Paul's writing to them, but each one of you should build with care. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, 
because the day, and he's talking about the day Jesus returns, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Now, on the one hand, there's some assurance there, like even if you've had no fruitfulness in your life, you're still going to escape and be saved. You're still going to escape through the flames and be saved. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'm pretty sure the reason Jesus didn't take me home the moment I surrendered my life to him, the reason he left me here was actually to have an influence so that we can advance the kingdom of God, we can pass on the faith, we can pass on the new life in Christ to the next generation, not just my own physical, biological children, but, but to, to, to everybody, to, to all who would come after me, so that uh, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 50, uh, hundreds of years after I'm gone, or Bethel Christian Fellowship is gone, that the faith is still alive and well. That, I, I'm pretty sure that's why God left me here. I, I'm pretty sure that's why God left you here, I think, all right? God wants us to persevere, not just so we escape and the flames and, and, and we're in heaven, hallelujah, but so that we can actually pass on the new life in Christ in such a way that it can get passed on and then passed on and passed on. So, now, to help us kind of get our minds around this, I, I thought a lot about Peter, the apostle. And, and Peter is, I, I don't know about you, Peter gives me so much hope. Because Peter, if you, if you read any of the... Uh, you know, the, the, the New Testament, you, you see this guy, he's, this, he's a loud mouth, he's stubborn, he's, uh, you know, he, he, was, he, was, he was probably that guy among the disciples, you know, all the other disciples were like kind of looking at each other and rolling their eyes. He, he, he was so kind of out there and annoying, and he was such a drama king. It was just such a drama king. Uh, and, and, and in fact, you know, uh, just before, the, um, a few days before the the, the what we're, gonna, we're, we're about to take a look at, a few days before that, right before Jesus died, you know, Paul, or, yeah, sorry, Peter said, you know, why can't we follow you, Jesus? I will lay down my life for you. Now, that didn't work out so well. Uh, that, that didn't go so smoothly for Peter. Uh, but let's turn to, if you could, uh, either on your device or, or the Bible in front of you, turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. If you could look at verse 15 for me. Now, this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus has just reintroduced himself to the disciples. Um, He's just uh, encountered Peter and some of the others early in the morning when they were trying to fish. And uh, John chapter 21 and if you have the Bible in front of you, it's page 769, 769, starting in verse 15. Read along with me, please. Uh, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more 
than these. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Now, at first, I'm, to be honest, I'm just a little skeptical when I, when I read uh, Peter saying that. I'm, I'm skeptical because uh, Peter has been all about these dramatic statements. Yes, I will, I will lay my life down for you. And then hours later, tries to <laughs> um, avoid laying down his life. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical at this. And, and Peter's kind of the, he's like, his, his years as a disciple before the death and resurrection of Christ are, are kind of like the perfect picture of immaturity, of, of Christian immaturity. And uh, that's why it gives me so much hope, by the way. <clears throat> uh, and then still in verse 15, uh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lamb. Now, I, I, I want you to just pay attention to how Jesus, Jesus here isn't looking for the dramatic, I will lay my life down for you. Je- Jesus turns Peter's attention to feeding the lambs. He turns Peter's attention away from his dramatic self-sacrifice. And he turns his attention toward caring and tending for those who are going to come after. <clears throat> Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? On the next page, 770, he answered, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Once again, there's this refocusing on the sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. This is really interesting. Jesus said, well, first I'm I'm, going to pause. It says Peter was hurt. Other, Other translations say he was grieved. When Jesus asks you a penetrating question and it wounds your pride or, or it hurts your self-esteem or it makes you come face-to-face with your own fears and your own, your own shortcomings, your own difficulties, don't, don't despise those questions of Jesus that hurt your heart. Don't, don't reject those. Okay, because what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is turning, Jesus is, with these penetrating questions, he's transforming Peter from an immature person who's all about dramatic showiness in his devotion to Jesus into the kind of mature person who will be able to feed and care for the lambs, who will be able to pass on the faith, pass on the new life in Christ to the next generation. These penetrating, hurtful questions are doing just that. <clears throat> and I, I think what Jesus says in verse 18 is, is really interesting, especially when you compare it to Jesus's earlier, sorry, to Peter's earlier statement. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this in verse 19, to indicate the kind of death 
by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now, this is so interesting because back in 13, I was just quoting chapter 13. And in that, that's where, where Peter said, Jesus, why can't we follow you? Uh, I, w- I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus responded, will you lay your life down for me, Peter? And now Jesus is calling Peter to that laying of his life down for Jesus. Peter's, Peter's being called to that. So turns out Peter actually is going to be a martyr, but there's something very different about what Jesus is calling, the martyrdom Jesus is calling him to now, and the martyrdom Peter wished he could have had, or thought he wished he could have had, before the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is calling him to a martyrdom that involves, but, but before, before Peter uh, gets to be killed, his body is killed for Jesus, before that ever happens, Jesus is calling him to a long season, decades, if, if the little bit we know about, about this era in church history, decades of Peter feeding the lambs. And God is calling you and me to that kind of maturity. He's call- now, now, maybe some of you are going to be martyred and you get to escape and go straight to heaven. Praise the Lord. That is awesome. Or not just martyred, you know, you might die an early death and the Lord will take you right to heaven. It's going to be a beautiful thing. But those of you who remain, he's calling you and me to the kind of maturity where we can feed the lambs. And I want you to notice a couple things about Peter's journey to maturity and to multiplication. Um, We've just gone over this passage here. I want you to notice just a a couple really important things. First of all, if you're scared by this passage like I am, notice Jesus's tender gentleness in restoring Peter and advancing him to maturity. Jesus didn't really rebuke Peter. He didn't scold Peter. He didn't belittle him. He didn't drag him over the coals. I mean, there was so much opportunity for Jesus to just really uh, go after Peter, and Jesus didn't do that. So if, if you feel like I've been a Peter in my life, those times I've been called to stand those, for Jesus, those times I've been called to be a witness, those times I've been called to lay down my life, and, and, I, and, I, and I failed, I haven't done it well, have, I've, I've biffed it, I've fumbled the ball, Jesus has the same tenderness towards us. Okay? Jesus very tenderly restored Peter. And, but I also want you to notice this. I want you to notice Jesus' deadly seriousness about getting Peter ready to be a mature multiplier. Jesus is deadly serious about getting you and me to a place of maturity. He's deadly serious. Now, when I say deadly serious, I'm not that's not God's, that's not, I don't mean God's mad at me. God clearly isn't mad at us. He wouldn't have sent Jesus to die for our sins if he were mad at us like that, okay? Jesus is deadly serious. He is, he is bent on 
transforming you and me into the kind of mature people who will be able to pass on the faith to people who will be able to pass on the faith who will be able to pass on the faith. All right? Jesus wouldn't have kept after Peter three times to the point where it hurt his heart if Jesus weren't deadly serious about this. This is what we're going to launch into, maturity, maturity this year. We're going to try to pass out these booklets here to everybody. We've got some little workbooks that you can use or not use. If you, oh, I, know, I know you're going to be tempted to look through the whole thing right now, but I, I, for a few minutes, I just want to orient you to what's, what's in here. If you, if you take a look at week one, that's on page one. Open up the first page, and it's right there. This little workbook can be used either, uh, it says small group discussion. You can use it in a small group, your mosaic group. You can use it like in a really small group, like maybe you just you and a friend or you and a spouse or you and one of your kids gets together and looks at this. That's, it can be as small as you want. It can also be, it says small group, but individuals can do this. So the parts where it says discuss, you know, you could just discuss with your invisible friend. But this workbook is, is going to be a helpful way to kind of get into this and not every sermon that you hear, every sermon you hear is going to be on the same topic of that week that's in the workbook. They're not going to, like, match perfectly, so, so don't be, you know, don't come here one morning like, they didn't say that in the workbook. That's not how the workbook says it. On the first page, I just want to point out a few things. Spiritual practice, fasting, every week we're going to introduce a new spiritual practice. These practices go way, way back in church history, thousands of years, some of them all the way to the, the very first disciples of Jesus. And Christians have been practicing these. The spiritual practices are a great way to start to kind of get your mind and your heart into this whole adventure, this whole journey of becoming mature in Christ. They really help. You don't have to do any of them. You can adopt them in whatever way you want to do, like, I'll do this part and not that part. That's, that's just fine. And even a few of these explain how you can do it. Here's the simplified version. Here's the little more complicated version. You can, you can pick or choose. You don't have to do any of them. But <clears throat> these kinds of practices, can, they, they really help me. I know they help Pastor Jim and, and others who have, have practiced them, but they really can help kind of help you get into this the way Pastor Jim always describes it is that, that the spiritual practices position you to receive the grace of God. You know, God's going to give you his grace whether you're, you know, cooperating or not. He's going to give you his grace. But these help you cooperate and just position yourself in a place to receive his, his grace. And so fasting, we're starting off with the fasting. That's because most, throughout most of church history, fasting and Lent have gone hand in hand. And like I had, had uh, said earlier, Lent is the time to prepare our hearts to walk in the resurrection life. Now, fasting doesn't magically, you know, suddenly make you be able to walk on water or anything like that. But it, it, fasting helps prepare. The most important thing about fasting is it helps prepare your heart to walk in the resurrection life. And there's all kinds of ways to fasting. But I, I, if you could... You could uh, Go, I'm not going to read through all of this, but a few things I want to highlight for you. And the, at the bottom of the page, it says how. Uh, there's, it says there's lots of options. You're invited to tailor it to, you know, whatever your needs might be, however you're being led. It usually means to abstain from a kind of food. It could be 
sweets, meat, sugary drinks, bread, and uh, anything. Uh, many people pick the time of Lent to fast from something that's maybe been causing them to stumble a little bit. You know, like, I just can't put down the potato chips. You know, they, they use fast to, a fast to help them with that. You don't have to. It, it can be helpful that way. Uh, it can also be, especially if you have a medical issue where you really should not be abstaining from food, uh, and, and by the way, please hear me. If you do have a med- such a medical issue, please don't have that kind of false bravery where you're like, well, Lord's just going to sustain me. I know I should never stop eating, but I'm going to go on a complete fast for 40 days. Don't. That's just, that's just stupid. That's just foolish, okay? It's just stupid. Don't do that. Spiritual nutsoness. <clears throat> um, uh, but <clears throat> if that's the case, there's other things you can fast from. Uh, it might be, um, you know, some kind of act- distracting activity, you know, TV, video games, certain TV shows, specific routines, certain music. It, it could be all kinds of, of things. Th- this is going to sound really weird. Um, when I told the first few people this, uh, they thought it was really weird, but that's okay. Uh, one, a, a couple years in a row, I was called to fast from late nights. All right? That sounds kind of weird, but I was called to God... God was trying to um, teach me to be a good steward of my body, and I had this, you know, these couple hours late at night where, you know, the kids were finally in bed. And I was like, oh, I finally get time to myself. And God was calling me to fast from late nights. Go to bed. It's turn off the lights right now. Um, so I, I, I don't know if anyone else will be called to that, but I just, that, those, that's one of the zillions of options out there to, to fast from. God might be calling you to fast from something that's unusual and other people might not understand. That's okay. It's between you and the Lord. Um, and uh, it's also possible that third point, that third little bullet point, says you could abstain from one of these things in part, like uh, once a week you fast from sweets or, or, or twice a week you fast from meat. Or so. a lot, plenty of Christians have, have done that. Um, you, you may choose to, do, to include a day or two of complete fasting. That's where you don't eat anything. You drink only water. <clears throat> um, that's okay to do. Probably something, if, if there's any question about a medical issue, something you might want to check out with, um, check, check with a doctor about. Um, again, don't be spiritual nutso. Uh, but, um, but if you look on the next page with me, number two, at the, at the top there, it says, what's the goal? The goal is to draw closer to God. And most of church history, Christians have practiced fasting, um, and, and again, it's to pre- prepare your, your heart for Lent. Um, and <clears throat> in the middle of, of the phrase there, it says, uh, just as Jesus wrestled with the devil in those days, the season of Lent is often a time for Christians to wrestle with the devil and with all the things that prevent us from living in the fullness of Jesus' resurrection. So, th- so, so maturity, you see how maturity and the whole season of preparing yourself during Lent, they, go, they really go together very nicely. A um, couple other points about fasting. Uh, removes distractions from prayer. It increases a sense of dependence on God. It exposes the distractions that you do have. You, you don't think something's a distraction until you fast about it, and you're like, oh my goodness, this is a distraction. Um, it also exposes your internal resistances, your sins, areas for improvement. Um, it does bring, especially if you do a food, um, a, a food fast, it brings incredible mental clarity and emotional clarity. Just your emotions just usually just, not at first. Usually at first you're like, wah, 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 wah. and then after a while, though, when you're into it, it just settles your emotions right down. Your 
mind becomes clear. So it can be really helpful that way. Um, and then the last point's really important there. It says, to, it makes us clarify to ourselves that God is worthy of this sacrifice. Fasting is a sacrifice. You're giving something up. You're delaying your, your satisfaction, your pleasure in something for a season. Uh, so it is a sacrifice, but God's worthy of that. And every time you fast, you're reminding yourself, God's worthy of this. God's worthy of this. A um, few more little wise parameters you should, you should take a look at. Some, some good motives. Do it out of the love of God because he's worthy of the sacrifice. Um, do it to be open to God's touch and guidance. Again, you're positioning yourself to receive God's grace. You're positioning yourself to cooperate with what he's doing. Bad motives. Very important, bad motives. To prove something to God. See, God, I really can do it. I really am super spiritual. Prove something to other people. Prove something to yourself. If, if, if loving ourselves is accepting the God, the, 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 accepting the me that God created me to be, you don't need to prove anything. You can live without proving. Fasting is a great time to practice uh, living without anything to prove. So that's not what you're doing. It. Other bad motive, lose weight. That'll just get you into all, kind of really mess with your head. Uh, especially since the fact people who do complete fasting usually don't lose any weight, by the way, because your whole, I can't remember what you call it, your whole system just kind of stops, shuts down a little bit in a, in a way. So, so it, you actually mostly never lose weight if you do a complete fast. So. Um, and please don't do it to punish yourself. There have been, there have been times in church history where, where people have thought that's what fasting is about. It's about beating yourself up. It's about, I did something really bad. I've, I've got to earn back God's grace. That's, don't do that. Now, if your motive is mixed, like almost all of ours are, try it anyway. Try it anyway. And ask the Lord to, to work in your heart to give you a pure motive. Um, and then it, just a few cautions at the, at the bottom. Be careful. If you're abstaining from food, drink a lot of liquid, especially water. Um, a great big thing of, uh, you know, Pepsi or Coke or Mountain Dew. Actually, <laughs> it's going to really mess you up if you're, <laughs> if you're fasting from food, like in a really big way. If you thought you got a buzz from sugar before, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> uh, any, check with your doctor about any health concerns. Moderation's a rule. Again, you're not proving anything. This is not heroes of the faith time. You know, this is not, we're not going to line up at the end on Easter and said, I have fasted all 40 days and I haven't had a single, not so a little bit of food has passed my lips. That's, no, nobody needs to know about you fasting. Um, and then lastly, don't, don't beat yourself up if it doesn't work. It might not work. It might, it might be, um, you know, you, you might have to stop halfway. That's okay. God loves you. Try again next year. It, it, it's not a way to earn God's approval. So, just a few things. Um, every, every week, there's an introduction to one of the practices, and I think you're going to find this helpful. Um, if you're a small group leader, if you are, um, uh, if you're a, a lead a mosaic group, you can grab some extras of these. Um, I think, I don't know if we, did we pass them all out? Are there any extras? All right. So there's a few extras, and we'll, we can print some more if you can contact Liz in the in the office, and we can print some more if you want to use this in your small group, and you know there's going to be a bunch of people there who aren't here today. You can pick up some extras or make copies of your, yourself. So, At the beginning of this Lenten season, we are going to, th- this is a great time, if you would like, to, to dedicate 
this season of Lent, dedicate this, this time where we're all together, we're, we're, we're trying to get our minds around maturity, this is a great time to, to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm setting this time aside for you. Lord, I'm dedicating this time to you. Lord, I'm surrendering to you. So I think we're singing I, I Surrender. Is that right? We're singing I Surrender. If it helps for you to physically posture yourself, like by bending your knee, um, the altar is open. Feel free to come down and posture yourself that way. Or if it helps you to stand as we sing this song and, uh, or, or raise your hands or, or, or whatever. Uh, but here, here's a great opportunity to position yourself to receive God's grace and to cooperate with him. So, thank you. So, go in the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit as you're sent to make disciples of all nations. The Lord be with you. Amen.